morning. My name is Narelle and today's Bible reading is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 18. So either find it in a pew Bible or your phone. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet together today knowing that we are unified in your love. Father, there's so much turmoil, fighting and division around the world, including in our own country. We ask, Lord, for your peace to prevail and we pray that people may see the light of the gospel and the love of Jesus in us, that they too may come to experience and know your love. Thank you that you are our peace and that through you we can be unified as one and can be reconciled to God through the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your word which reveals yourself to us. We ask you to be with James now as he helps us see that we can trust you and your word, the Bible. Open our hearts to your word that we might discover anew how wonderful and glorious you are. By the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit." Well, good morning again, everyone. Thank you for being here. And again, thank you for enduring with the heat. I will try not to take any more time than necessary, but I do want to give enough time to deal with this topic because it's not a straightforward and easy one. Some of you already might be triggered by the fact that I've used the word January 26th instead of Australia Day there. Uh, And it's been in the news lately, right? What are we going to do about Australia Day? Uh, Woolworths, And Big W this uh, last week announced that they were not going to be selling Australia Day-themed merchandise. If you're a little bit sceptical of big corporations like me, you might have thought that that was just a media attempt to get the attention off the cost of living and cost of food. But either way, it was a topic for them to easily distract us with, right? Because this has become a real debate for us as a country over the last 10 years. 
Uh, we've even moved the Triple J Hottest 100, right? Uh, no longer on Australia Day because of the political sensitivities that exist around this. Some local councils no longer do their citizenship stuff on Australia Day because there's all sorts of issues that come along with this. Now, uh, sorry, guys at the back there, I'm seeing the same slide on each uh, one there, so if you can fix that up, that'd be really helpful for me. Uh, so, we've got this debate in our country about whether this should be something that we call Australia Day or depending on where you're coming from, whether it's Invasion Day, a day of mourning, you know, whatever you might like to think about it with. And so this is something for us as Christians that we should be seeking to think theologically about. Now, here's the thing, guys. I'm not going to pretend to offer an answer to the complex political question here, but I do think that this is something that's really important for us as a church and as Christians to be thinking through. Because while, as we're going to talk about today, the church is not given a political mission, how we engage with culture is really important for the mission that God has actually given to us. And so I'm going to talk to you again just a little bit about the reasons for why I'm talking about this this, at this moment. But I do think that this is something that's really important for us to wrestle with, not to find political solutions, but to keep growing as Christians. Because the thing is that these things are complex. That's part of the trouble, right? There is no easy answer to this. You can listen to different perspectives and hear wisdom. So just even when it comes to things like changing the date, some people get really upset about this, despite the fact that Australia Day has changed its date on a couple of different occasions, and its recent history is significantly different from its early history. So it started off as a Sydney-centric celebration. Boo. Uh, it's an easy win here in Brisbane, right? Um, all colonies started to observe the day except for South Australia uh, in you know, the late 19th century. Empire Day was actually the big national day for the first part of the 20th century. Okay, when Australia Day first was declared to be a national uh, day of uh, commemoration, it was actually held on July 30th and it was more about raising money for the war. Uh, it wasn't until 1935 that it became January 26th, and it wasn't even declared a public holiday until 1994. But you'll notice there that from early as 1938, some Indigenous people were raising questions about what this day actually represented, and that's when the idea of calling it Day of Mourning first began. And so we have this complex issue that we wrestle with here as, as a country. What, what does it mean to be Australian? How, how should we view our history as a nation? And of course, coming off the back of the, the voice referendum last year, where the country voted you know, pretty significantly against any sort of constitutional change that would have a, an, an Indigenous voice to Parliament, this is something that is important for us to wrestle with because we're being asked to make decisions about this stuff. And so let me uh, quote here from Pastor Ray Minicon, who gives a, uh, an insight into what the debate is. He says, on January 26, 1788, the whole nation pauses to reflect and remember that Captain Arthur Phillips sailed into what is now known as Sydney Cove with 11 shiploads of convicts to establish a penal colony, hoist the British flag at Sydney Cove, and claim possession over these lands on behalf of the British Empire. For Australia's first peoples, there is a completely different narrative. This day, this day and date signify a day of mourning, survival day, sovereignty day. It represents the disruption and dispossession of First Nation history and cultural connections to the lands, language, and heritage. This day confronts and reminds First Nation peoples about their loss and ongoing sufferings and trauma and struggle for justice, dignity, and basic human rights. And then he asks this question. How can these two powerful competing narratives embark in a meaningful biblical and theological dialogue about their future together on these lands we call Australia 
and with the Creator's blessings. So you can see Pastor Ray here understands that there are biblical and theological issues at stake here because this is the land that God has sovereignty over. And we've got a history to wrestle with. We've got competing narratives. We've got different claims about what it means for us to live in this country as different peoples together. But the reason why I'm talking to us about it now is because uh, last year at the General Assembly of Australia, there was a debate around, and that's a, that's a Presbyterian thing, sorry for those not familiar with the lingo, at the Presbyterian's General Assembly of Australia, uh, there was a debate over whether we should have acknowledgement of country as part of church services or not. Now, that's a really interesting question. It's a, it's a good question to actually wrestle with. How do we put elements of culture in our services of worship? Okay, That's an important question to be answering. And so, as I share this with you, I'm not seeking to disagree with the decision per se. I think, you know, I've, I've got some personal views on that. But what I want to talk about is the way the discussion went. Because the General Assembly did decide that a welcome to country or acknowledgement of country would not be appropriate for a worship service. Okay, now like I said, that's an interesting discussion, but this was the issue that I had with how things went down. As it was reported here in Crikey, but also in a few other news sites, the Presbyterian Church failed to properly consult its Indigenous ministers ahead of the Welcome to Country ban. Now, I was there, and this is true. The process wasn't great. We didn't listen. The work wasn't done to actually collaborate and consult broadly enough to actually hear properly from Indigenous people that care about this stuff very much. And I think that that's something that we have to recognise as those, many of us, okay, who inherit the blessings okay, of what British arrival in Australia means, because there's a whole lot of people who've experienced the curses that came along with that. And if we can't listen, how are we going to possibly recognise this together? And so, from the, the blog there, Crikey. A Crikey investigation has revealed that the organisation, the Australian Presbyterian World Mission, was not consulted. So it's an internal Prezi group that does a lot of work with Indigenous people. The committee's final report also did not include input from the two Indigenous ministers it was required to consult with. And according to a church insider, both ministers were said to be in favour of conducting acknowledgements of and welcomes to country. I was not that church insider, but I know who it was. But they're right. That's true. And so that's what was really disappointing for me. Like I said, not the decision itself. That's an interesting question to wrestle with, and we can have different views on that. But not having a process where we listen properly and engage with people, that's a real problem. Because if we're going to talk about what it means to live together and be a community together, these are really important things that I think the Bible has a lot to say about. And it's something that churches have been asked to think about here in this country for, for almost a century now. So we go back to 1938, William Cooper, great stash, I just heard, that's entirely true. <laughs> but they met for a day of mourning on January 26, because they were seeking equality and full citizenship for Indigenous people, which wouldn't happen in this country for another 30 years. Okay, not until the mid-1960s did Indigenous people have those rights. And what he called upon was the Australian churches to set aside the Sunday before the January 26th as Aboriginal Sunday a day for Christians to act in solidarity with Aboriginal people and the injustices being experienced. 
So for some time, Indigenous people have been asking the churches of this country to act in solidarity with them to deal with this, these sorts of injustices. And this is the thing that we have to acknowledge and recognise. There are horrible injustices. I want to include here just a brief excerpt from a speech that Stan Grant gave back in 2017 at the IQ2 conference talking about racism in Australia. Not long after the Adam Goods thing, if you remember all of that. He said, the Australian dream, we sing of it and we recite it in verse, Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. My people die young in this country. We die 10 years younger than average Australians and we are far from free. We are fewer than 3% of the Australian population and yet we are 25%, a quarter of those Australians locked up in our prisons. And if you're a juvenile, it's worse. It is 50%. An Indigenous child is more likely to be locked up in prison than they are to finish high school. I love a sunburned country, a land of sleeping plains, of rugged mountain ranges. It reminds me that my people were killed on those plains. We were shot on those plains. Disease ravaged on those plains. I come from those plains. I come from a people west of the, west of the Blue Mountains, the Wiradjuri people, where in the 1820s the soldiers and settlers waged a war of extermination against my people. Yes, a war of extermination. That was the language used at the time. Go to the Sydney Gazette and look it up and read about it. Martial law was declared and my people could be shot on sight. Those rugged mountain ranges, my people, women and children, were herded over those ranges to their deaths. That's the sort of stuff that we have to wrestle with. That's the sort of stuff that our country is, and I don't say this lightly, built on in lots of different ways. And so it's no surprise that Indigenous leaders today ask us to recognise this, to, to address this. So here's Green's senator, an Indigenous person uh, from the tribes there, who says, this is Senator Lydia Thorpe, she says, people in this country need to share an understanding of, how our, of our past and how this influences our present. Once everyone knows where we're coming from, we can decide where we're going together. The people need truth before we can negotiate a treaty. People want truth in this country and it's time to tell it. Now see, when we hear culture say we want truth, as Christians, that should stir something within us because we have truth. We have the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so if anybody in this world is going to be able to figure out how to engage with these sorts of complex issues and answer the call for truth, then it should be us. And so my very modest goal for this morning is simply to talk about how we can engage with complex issues like this as Christians and try and think Christianly about these things because I do think that we have a responsibility to be able to a good answer to, it, to a request for truth and for a call to, in, to address injustice, but it, it's probably not going to look like what the world would ask of us. And it might not even look like what some indigenous people would ask of us. But we want to let scripture speak to this and shape our thoughts on it. So let me say this, point number one. The church has a ministry of reconciliation, but it is grounded in union with Christ, not politics or even social justice. Here's what I mean by this. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his disciples gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to make Israel great again? Are you going to restore us to the, to the nation that we once were under Solomon, under David, where we had power and renowned 
We were rich. We were wealthy. We were a beacon for the nations. Are you going to do this again? And Jesus says, It's not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Not my activists, not my political rulers, not the ones who are going to go forth and, and, and change society, but rather you will be my witnesses. This was the mission that Jesus has given to his church. Again, Matthew 28, the last words he spoke to his disciples. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm the boss. I'm the one who rules over all things. Your job is to go and make disciples of all nations. This is the mission that he's given to the church. But this is really important. The mission to make disciples is not detached from reconciliation. It has reconciliation at its heart. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All things is from God, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and is committed to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as through God, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. The mission that Jesus has given to his church is to make disciples, and the way that we do that is by reconciling people to God, by telling them the awesome news of what Jesus has done in dying upon the cross, paying the price for our sins, defeating death so that we can live with him forever. If we believe and trust in him, we then have peace with God. So the church has a ministry of reconciling people to God, but as always, we want the gospel not to just be a declaration of what Jesus has done on the cross, but also how that transforms the way that we live. And so what we need to recognize is that as people are reconciled to God, they are reconciled to each other and made one body. From our Bible reading just before. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, you know, so the non-Jewish people. We've had Jewish people as the people of God through all of human history pretty much, okay, going back to the time of Abraham. And we have Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and they have been two distinct groups of peoples in the minds of Jews for millennia. And he says, remember that at that time, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The peace that Jesus seeks to bring is not a political one. It's peace with him and then peace with one another as we become one part of the body of Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and it is one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Our animosity towards one another, the sins that we've committed against each other, the sins of the ancestors whom we come from, Jesus deals with all of that at the cross. 
As we come to believe in Christ and we are all forgiven for our sins, the enmity that stands between us is opposing people's ends as we are united in Christ together. And so we're told, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. All the peoples of the earth, while maintaining their distinctions, while remaining their cultural heritage, while remaining all the different ways that they live in this world in good and godly and diverse ways, our unity is ultimately found in Christ. And so the first message and ministry of reconciliation that we have is reconciling people to God. As people are reconciled to God, then we are reconciled to one another. But here's the thing, guys, and this is where the the rubber hits the road, so to speak, for where we probably need to change and think about how we live is this. The work of reconciling people to God is served best when we love our neighbor. Now, the command to love our neighbor stands separate and apart from our ministry of reconciliation. We're called to love our neighbor in all circumstances, no matter what, but we need to recognize that in doing that, the ministry of reconciliation is best served. In the lead up to uh, Aboriginal Sunday uh, this year, Common Grace, it's a little political party, sort of, you know, Christian in in some, I'd say, I wouldn't agree with everything doctrinally, but certainly wanting to to bring Jesus into the political conversation. Indigenous artist, uh, Safina Stewart here, uh, said this, or asked this question of Pastor Ray that we quoted from before. Is the church willing to even begin, and then further from that, continue to be the example of love and truth that this gospel of Jesus is? Pastor Ray said, rather bluntly, they're not answering it faithfully. They're not answering it biblically. They're not answering it theologically. They're not answering it politically. They're not answering it even personally. Now, you can agree or disagree with that to varying degrees, but this is the the key thing that I want to hear from us next. He says this, and if they want to preach the message of Jesus to my people, they're going to have to show true justice, the truth-telling and it's a, and a better way forward that actually gives us some kind of practical substance to believe that there might be an opportunity for some kind of reconciliatory process. But at the moment, there isn't. Indigenous people feel, rightly, as though they have suffered and been mistreated and still bear the burden of that for centuries. And what Pastor Ray is calling on churches to to think about is, if you want to preach the message of Jesus to us, in what ways are you actually seeking to practically show us that you care about justice? Now, here's the thing. Pastor Ray, when when I listen to him and everything like that, I, I don't totally agree with the solution that he would put forward. I don't agree with some of the theological moves that he makes, but it would be foolish of me not to listen to the person who has suffered, who cares about God, who cares about the scriptures, and has something to say. If we think, oh, because I might have some theological disagreements or because we disagree on what we think the answer should be, therefore we're not going to listen, we're not going to consult, we're not going to engage, then shame on us. Because we're not showing the humility that's needed to learn. Because this is complex. And it's arrogant for any of us to think that from our position of privilege, where so many of us, again, have inherited the blessings of wrongs done to others, that we would not be then caring enough and kind enough to listen 
to the challenges that they would make towards us. And this thing, our unity is ultimately going to be in Christ itself. If there's going to be reconciliation between us as people, guess what? God promises none of that in this world, but he promises us that if we believe in Jesus, then we are united together as one people in Christ. And while we still might disagree about how to live in this world, that's a union and a bond that's stronger than any political or social movement that this world has ever known. So I just want to finish by putting this example of Jesus in front of you guys. It says here in Matthew 9 that when Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. So notice this. As he was teaching and preaching, he was also healing every disease and illness. Now, in lots of ways, the reason that Jesus healed people was to show that he was the Son of God, to show that he had power and authority over the physical world, over the spiritual world. But he also, as we see here, looked at the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we all know that his main mission was to have them become part of his people, part of his flock, in that deep and profound spiritual sense. But this is the thing, we can't get away from the fact that while Jesus' first mission was to make for himself the spiritual people of God, he never stopped addressing their physical needs as he went, even when he sent out his disciples. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. A harvest of souls, make no, no doubt about it. That was the mission that they had to proclaim the good news so that a harvest of souls would come to Christ. But he said to them, all right... I give you authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So next week, we're going to come together for Vision Sunday. It's the, the kickoff of term and all that sort of stuff. And we're going to talk about our mission as a church. And I'm going to make no apologies for the fact that our mission as a church is to go out into the harvest field and see souls saved. But we can never forget that as Jesus sends us out to do that, he also calls us to deal with the physical problems that is experienced by those who are seeking to tell the good news to to deal with things like injustice and wrongs that we are facing. And so while the, the church is an institution, my job is not to bring up about political change. It is my job to equip you to do what Jesus did as he sought to fulfill that mission. And one of the things that he did was, as he proclaimed, he sought to heal. Some of you might be called to, to do radical change in politics or in business, in culture at large because of the roles that you're in, because of what's on your heart, because of God's gifted you. And I just want to make sure, though, that all of us understand that while we're not going to make that our project as a faith community to bring about political or social change, we absolutely, as mature Christians who know Jesus and want to live like him, have to be willing to follow him in this. And so we're going to keep thinking about this stuff because this, this church has a history of seeking to build connection with indigenous people in this country, with the guys at Warabinda and, and Arnie Carroll in the last two years. 
Chris Pine has just been done an amazing job for much longer than the last two years in, in building relationships there and, and loving the people there, taking teams up there. We've had them come down and join us for our holiday programs and that sort of stuff. But this is the thing. We absolutely don't want to become that church that does a few things and then pats ourselves on the back and say, no, no, we're not part of the problem. We have to keep being willing to love like Jesus and keep willing to make the sacrifices necessary. Sometimes that will lead to salvation. Sometimes it will simply be physical healing, just as Jesus did himself. So my challenge for us is that in light of the cross, that we would seek, you know, as we go forward and as all of us have different opinions about what our country should do with the, the question of Australia Day and indigenous relations and all this sort of stuff, as you think about the social and political solutions that are getting put forward, Never make the mistake of separating the call to proclaim the gospel from the call to go forth and heal. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you for the reconciliation that you brought between sinners like us and you. We thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you, Father, that as he came into this world and he suffered and bled, that he stands with those who are weak. He stands with those who have been separated. He stands with those who have been the outside. He stands with those who have been persecuted. He knows what it is to bleed unjustly. And as we see the suffering that he's endured and we see the good that's been brought forth through that, we are filled with thanks that he was willing to suffer and bleed unjustly in order to save sinners like us. And we pray, Father, as we look upon that example, that, that, that reconciliation that we have with you, that we would also seek peace with one another, recognizing that all those who believe in you are made brothers and sisters in Christ, and that where there was once hostility, there should now be peace and forgiveness and love between us. And we recognize, Father, that as we go forth to preach of this message of reconciliation, to seek to have more people join us as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're also called to heal, to love, to bring good. And we pray, Father, as we do that, that your name would be honored and lifted on high, and that many more would be reconciled to you also. And we thank you.